but in functional and and this is not a critic i i completely honor um and respect functional medicine and integrative medicine but there's a gap in this translation to the kitchen and to the plate that we're talking about there's a gap in um helping people understand what they need there is value in placing a prescriptive diet when somebody is undergoing an acute or chronic condition absolutely but the real art and this is where culinary nutrition comes in okay and this is why i so love this bridging of the fields is because the chef okay the person with the advanced cooking degree or you know the the chef helps to round out that conversation to take the science and to bring beauty and pleasure into it what is a diet to a per- it, it it is just it's just a diet it's diet but what is cooking cooking is nourishment so you know and most of us look most of us know that eating dark leafy greens and blueberries and a little bit of dark chocolate and <laughs> and what we know what we should be eating but we've we've lost that connection so what the health coaching and the culinary nutrition world what we're what we're trying to do is get pleasure back into the program and that was Marty Wolfson This week's guest on the Full Capacity Living podcast, a culinary nutritionist, health supportive chef, and so much more. Today, I get to share this beautiful conversation around bringing the science as well as the spiritual nature of food to our mind, body, spirit, and plate. We talk about rekindling intuitive eating, learning to trust ourselves with food, but also cultivating curiosity and creativity with the food we choose to eat. She tells us how she arrived into the work she does in the culinary nutrition world now, her training at the very well-known National Gourmet Institute with Anne-Marie Colbin, her work at the Canyon Ranch Medical Spa, the Blum Center for Health in New York City, and her culinary practice currently. We delve into foods that nourish your brain, how to cultivate this in your children, and how to return to a loving, nourishing relationship with food something that has been lost for many. So stay tuned because beyond this, there is so much more. So without further delay, here is my conversation with the amazing Marty Wolfson. Hello, Marty Wolfson. Thank you for being on my podcast. I really appreciate your willingness to do this. And I'm I'm happy to um, have you here and have you share your story and the remarkable work you're doing in um, the nutrition world um, and culinary and integrative medicine, right? So um, if you if you would um, indulge me and, and just share your journey into um, what what you experienced in terms of your um, your nutrition, your health, your functional medicine journey, and then also we can kind of flow into how it informs what you do now. Um, but share a little bit about you. Great. Well, thank you so much for having me, Karen. Um, it's uh, it's been a really interesting journey, um, particularly how cooking, nutrition, functional medicine has intersected and informed the other. So, um, I danced my whole life, and I was always always fascinated with the body. Um, how it functioned, what drove us. Um, and, you know, I, I really loved anatomy and physiology in, in high school and then thought, what am I going to do with, with health and dance? And I thought maybe physical therapy. And I ended up in the exercise physiology department of, of Skidmore College. And I think I've always been this person that had to pave my own unique way and never, never quite, you know, slid into a box. Um, and so I straddled the dance and exercise physiology department and they didn't quite know what to do with me. And I, um, I ended up creating my own kind of 
discipline and double major in that I discovered Pilates kind of before it became a joke on Saturday Night Live. Like, <laughs> like it was, <laughs> you know, Pilates was really a really serious form of movement, body awareness for dancers. Martha Graham brought Joseph Pilates and all these major, major directors brought him in. And so I studied it like a scientist and I ended up doing my senior thesis in it. I ended up taking it to London to a major dance medicine university and presenting my research and looking, looking at, so I, I started off with, I only tell you this because research was such a big part of the early part of my work. And I was always kind of finding my way between art and science. And at the same, you know, I, I also was lucky, like I was lucky with the people I was surrounded by. And one of the people that really, I think paved my way into nutrition was my very first nutrition professor through exercise science. And he made us read a book called Nourishing Wisdom by Mark David. And yeah, Mark David is so well known now in the, you know, um, intuitive eating world and, and I read this book and it was all about how, what goes on in our mind and how, what we think and what we feel and how this affects how we eat, how we digest and absorb our food. And it just, it, it opened my mind and it resonated with me in, you know, from my dancer perspective, and then also kind of having a, a fascination with food too. And so I had all of these things opening up to me with, with nutrition and body awareness and didn't quite know what I was going to do with it all. And I guess I should back up and say, because I think this is an important part of the story and an important part of my work is that there was this disordered um, eating and way of looking at food. Mm -hmm. One, because I grew up with some disordered eating in my household and then Two, as a dancer, it's hard. It's hard not to be hard on ourselves because we grow up in front of a mirror. So even though I didn't have a full-fledged disordered eating, I was, still, I was still playing with my food in a dangerous way. For example, <clears throat> this was in the 90s. I was, I was, it was probably late 90s when I was in college and there was still the fat of low fat Right. dieting. Right. Well, I managed to pretty much eliminate all my fat in my diet. And I ended up having amenorrhea for a year, which is a loss of your period. And so I immediately learned the importance of nutrients and I did something with it. You know, I, and, and this was at a time where doctors were telling, were blaming, were, were doing the shame and blame. So they were blaming me and telling me, you know, to stop being anorexic or bulimic, even though I wasn't right. Right. They weren't looking at the person in front of them. And I, even though I was saying, you know, I don't, I don't do that. Um, I just don't know what's going on. And so I had to connect these pieces myself. Well, and I, you know, some of what you're saying here, I think, um, first of all, that you, you know, thought about this in a way that connected with your dancing and movement that was so, so important to you and that your body needed to move. But, but you didn't even start there. Like you did go into the world of Pilates and movement and the energy work in the beginning. So this was always in your mind, right? The, the nutrition piece and its connection to- The nutrition piece, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was always in my mind. And this same professor that gave me this wonderful book, one of the- best exercises he ever gave us, which is so cool to think about it now, was he made all of us do a week of the Ornish diet, a week of the zone diet, and a week of the Atkins diet, and to journal how we felt, which is what you and I do with our clients, right? <laughs> yes, he was very progressive. <laughs> and I will never forget a bunch of us being passed out in the student lounge after doing a week of the Atkins diet. Oh, right, No right. energy, right? Like total full fat, low carb. Well, and, and I think- in a different way than we talk about them sometimes now. Like we talk about good fats. That was like any fat, like just- That was bacon grease. Right. 
like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bad fat game on. So, and then, and the zone, which, you know, we can say a lot about the zone was probably the most balanced. Mm -hmm. It was higher protein. It was actually just more like sensible education about, about what's a good ratio of macronutrients. But these early exercises, I would say looking back, really informed the more middle path I take and how important it is to really eat and live in moderation. Right, right. So even like like dropping back into um, your dance background and and I love I like what you say, um, you know, at Skidmore College, you kind of had to pave your own way and you, you couldn't slide into a box. I actually think that's a really good thing that you didn't slide into any box that they had already available for you. I think it's, it's just a great idea that you, which is what's happening a lot more now, but back then it wasn't so common that you would take your interests and bring it together to create what, what works for you as a degree. Right. Like that, right. like, and it, it really kind of moved you forward. I, I'm just really incredibly fascinated by the, the thesis that you did on Pilates. <laughs> yeah. It almost sounds like Sharon Salzberg, who did her thesis on meditation back in the seventies when, it, you know, her college in Buffalo was like, I, I don't think you can do this. And she like, yeah, did it anyway. <laughs> That's yeah. Fantastic. Tell me a little bit about that research and, and how it took you to London. Well, that was looking at um, a, a specific conditioning protocol of Pilates that we had the dancers do over, um, let's say, 10 weeks. And we looked at the before and after variables of flexibility, strength, right? So different, different variables and then and found a significant increase in in I think all of actually all of the the variables um, after after going through the Pilates protocol. Yeah. Yeah, and so and and you know this is where what's called the dance medicine field was at was looking at how these specific dance conditioning methods can help dancers um, prevent you know injury become better dancers. So. It was exciting to get into a journal and yeah it, yeah it's interesting the the juxtaposition of dance medicine what you're talking about in terms of pilates and making your body stronger and healthier yet also that that part of we're looking in the mirror at ourselves all the time and there is a percentage of disordered eating within dancing um that that maybe what was that spoken about back then was that something that people were paying attention to at all or was it still sort of under the, the radar? Yeah, it was still under the radar. It was still kind of the elephant in the room. Mm -hmm. You know, there was still like, oh, you know, I know what that person's doing and nobody talking about it. Nobody coming to, to help each other and nobody seeking help. So yeah, it was still a tough time in that way. Yeah. And, 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 a lack of education, which I think more departments are doing a better job at with nutrition and physical conditioning of helping, you know, of helping the dancer really um, appreciate what they can do to make themselves stronger, not look a certain way. Right, right. That's, that's so important, like the underlying health and strength of someone versus this is how I want to look. That's, yeah, sure. And that's, again, that's part of what you're doing in the work that you do now. So, so kind of moving forward, I love Mark David. Yeah, you're right. He's very popular now, but back then it, his, his work wasn't oh. well known. <laughs> no, no. So, but yeah, that's, I, I, what a great professor. Do you, are you still in contact with that professor? I am. And I've gone back to Skidmore and I've done huge culinary workshops with the exercise science students. And, oh, nice. you know, so we're really bringing the, the science of nutrition to the plate, which is the central part of my work. But so, yeah. so you, so then like, like, let's kind of move forward. You, you worked in the world of, of um, movement and gyrotonics, which is actually interesting because somebody just mentioned that to me the other day, one of my clients and it, it isn't something I hear from people that often, um, but you mentioned that as part of what you used to do as movement therapy. So tell me, uh, 
you know, after you got done with college, you still have this nutrition piece sort of in the back of your mind, but you went into the movement world a little bit more. I did. I dove right into it. I got certified in Pilates. Um, then I got certified in gyrotonic, which is, uh, it's kind of like their sisters and, and brothers, Pilates and gyrotonic. They, they live in the same kind of what's called somatic movement system, which is moving from the inside, from the, from the first person perspective, rather than, you know, trying to do an exercise, just watching an exercise system and, and repeating it. Um, gyrotonic is a little bit more three dimensional. It's a, it's a lot more three dimensional. The machinery makes you move three dimensional the way we are meant to move. And, um, it's built around spirals and it's got a yoga and dance influence. So I did that. And then, like I said, I just, I've been lucky enough to end up in the right place at the right time. Yeah. I landed my, my first kind of career at Canyon Ranch uh, Medical Spa in the Berkshires. And at the time, and, and let me just say that for those that don't know, Canyon Ranch was the first medical spa that was based, their medicine was based in functional medicine. So um, at the time, Mark Hyman was the, one of the co-directors Kathy Swift, who we think of as the mother of nutrition, right. was there leading the, the nutrition department. Um, and I was going to all these, I was in the movement therapy room, but I was going and talking to the nutritionists and, and getting to go to the grand rounds of all these incredible doctors, you know, at like 23, 24. Well, and I just, think you land there. You just, you just, there was an opening and you just, uh, you know. There was a, well, okay, the quick backstory is that in college, when I was at Skidmore, I was gifted to do a mother-daughter trip to the Canyon Ranch in Tucson uh, for a week, and we had an unbelievable experience. My mother was just recovering from breast cancer, and uh, she met with, you know, this is a very spiritual medical spa. I right, mean, it right. goes from, right, it goes from, like, the very scientific and functional medicine to the very spiritual and you get to see shamanic healers and she she did it all she was completely rejuvenated after radiation treatments and and i was just going to every single class i could and she i don't remember saying this but she said we left and i said i'm one day going to work there and <laughs> she saw and and i guess i think it was her that saw an opening and i applied and i moved right to the berkshires and um, it really changed my life. Um, I, I just learned so much as a practitioner because you have people coming in and out all the time. Right. So you have to be very quick in kind of reading somebody's body, knowing what that they could use in that moment. And I had an incredible team of movement therapists to learn from um, and train with. and. And we all, like the different departments got to work together and be creative together. So you talk integrative medicine. I mean, it was right there. That was it. Yeah, that was the genesis was of, of what we see now in functional medicine. And and true, like you had, a, you know, sort of a vision of yourself there. You thought, well, this is where I want to be. And, and you know, I, luck, I don't always, I don't necessarily believe that luck is just something that happens. It's It's that you're you're ready at the time that an opportunity is presented to you. And so for you, you'd studied that for a long time, but the nutrition piece, that little, that, that piece from your professor was still there in your mind as something that was really critically important. So as you went there and that was a gift from someone, certainly um, you didn't just end up there because you said, I'm going to Canyon Ranch and I'm going to get a <laughs> right. job here. Um, but, you know, all things kind of the universe sort of supported you in, in the, the role that you were you were seeking and, and training yourself for. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, what you say about like being ready for it. I mean, what was interesting was at the time I was there. I picked up a parasite through food, not Canyon Ranch's food, <laughs> the outside. And <laughs> their food is their food is pretty incredible. Right, right, right. Um, I picked up a parasite and my gut did a 180 in a matter of 24 hours and it was never the same. And I got very sick. And 
the thing was, is that in the lunchroom at Canyon Ranch, I could be sitting across from Dr. Hyman talking elimination diets, mm -hmm. you know, part of the process they use to treat parasites and right. um, different gut, gut dysfunctions. And so, cause I didn't know what to do. They were throwing anti-parasitic medications, you know, at me in, in gastroenterology and nobody was talking about food, probiotics, pre nobody was talking about this, right? Seeding and reseeding. <laughs> um, but functional medicine was, and I started to be kind of my own kitchen lab rat. And I started to play with eliminating different trigger foods. And slowly but surely, I discovered what, you know, my body couldn't handle in that moment, and then what I needed to heal. Now, this has taken many years, right. um, many years um, to heal. And I'm, and I'm think of it that I'm still healing from it well and I think that's really important so many people just yesterday you know pretty much every day that I see somebody they're asking me how long is this going to take you know what's my what's my timeline and I say, well I can tell you that some of the protocols take sometimes two to three six months but but that doesn't mean that in six months you're going to be you know feeling a hundred percent and back to it I think it's really, really important. The many years is not everybody experiences that they have to do this for many years, but it does take longer. It's we're so used to, um, we're conditioned to allopathic medicine where you get a pill and it, it just goes away. Um, not completely. Right. right? Um, so, so that journey took you a long time, but I, I like the idea that you've, you created your own little experiment with some of the things you were doing because you didn't necessarily have access to everyone that might be helping you or might be able to help you. Yeah, yeah, I took a little bit from here and there. I took a little bit from um, the functional medicine docs and nutritionists and started reading on my own. And then I needed, and, and I, was, um, I was kind of fatiguing from Pilates and, and gyrotonic. Um, but I, but I had to go on a, on a bit of a food and cooking journey. So I went to the West Coast. I left Canyon Ranch. I just left and I went to the West Coast. And I was still teaching the movement therapy. And, you know, I think anyone that lives on the West Coast or has been out there, the food is just different. The culture is different. And that's when I started to really kind of become a quote unquote foodie. And, and just got so into it because right they kind of have this abundance all year round right. and farm to table wasn't a thing or a trend out there it just is how you eat right so i just fell in love with food and cooking and still was experimenting with what i could handle in my diet and then i started to realize okay i need i, I want to do something with this i don't know what and i moved back east and i was just walking along and there was this brochure on the side of the road and I don't know why but I picked it up and opened it up and there was an ad for the Natural Gourmet Institute and I think literally in a couple of days I called and enrolled and the Natural Gourmet for anyone that doesn't know what it is um, this began in the late 70s by Anne-Marie Colbin um, this was around the time that macrobiotic was very popular and she began this cooking school out of her apartment, single mom with two daughters. Wow. And it then moved into um, a building in the Flatiron District and became a major center for cooking for health and disease. So that's where I landed. And it was just like coming home. Um, I like that. And <laughs> I have this vision of this brochure just blowing in the wind down the road and you're going, Oh, I wonder what that is. Let me pick it up. You got it. <laughs> that's what it. That's exactly what it was. Um, and so I, I went and I, I still taught movement, but I was full on in chefy world. And um, you learn a lot of you. You learn the French, French culinary basics in a in a health supportive context okay right. um so you learn you learn all the the techniques you need to know but you're working with 
much more plant-based ingredients. But then you get all of these courses in cooking for cancer, cooking for detoxification, spa cooking, um, you know, cooking for bone health. And I decided I, want to, I wanted to cook for people undergoing cancer treatment. And so that's what I went into um, for a you number of years. You can pick each one, any one of those as like a focus, like a, a degree or, or a, a special certification is what you're saying. You had to take all of those courses and then uh, graduates ha have, have specialized. Yeah. And you said it's kind of like the hippie version of French culinary cooking. <laughs> <laughs> a bit, I a bit, that. yeah. I love that way of looking at it because, you know, traditional French cooking is definitely um, lots of heavy cream sauces and, and meats and things like that. And to lighten it up a little bit and to bring it into the world of how do we use this food as, as information and communication for our bodies to be as healthy as possible. Um, that, that just, um, I mean, to me, it, you know, you're talking about it. I'm thinking I'm going to move to New York and go to this school. I would, I, well, a lot of people do. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people leave. A lot of people of all ages. I mean, there are people from like 18 to 60s. You know, they leave their families, they go and they do it for a stint. And yeah, I could see where people are doing that. So the the con combination of, of the body awareness and the energy work and the movement that you did, and then kind of moving into nutrition. I mean, they, they all intersect, like, as we know, um, the difference in functional medicine is that we look at the body as a system versus pieces and parts and one thing for one, one ill. Um, but the mind body connection, is this where you kind of started to connect with that? Where did that piece come in? Yeah, I think it, it was always there because through, through the movement training and my, and, and different energy medicine trainings I've done, that piece was always there in terms of how I, let's say, maybe cooked for people when I was a private chef or started to teach cooking classes, um, was to bring in the focus of listening, listening to the body and how is this affecting you. So I, I private chefed for a while, but then um, I, my second kind of career, I guess you could say, was with Susan Blum at the Blum Center for Health. When she was opening this, the Blum Center in Westchester, New York, she found me and I became her founding culinary director. So imagine walking into a doctor's office and the first thing you see is this beautiful kitchen. So we had an open teaching kitchen that I ran for two years. And that is where I started to integrate the food, the cooking, the mind-body awareness. So I would hold classes and we wouldn't just cook, but we would do some meditation in the, in the, the beginning. We would maybe do a mindful eating exercise. I would maybe hold a class on, um, if we were running a detoxification program, part of my class was showing them what foods help detoxify, but then also helping to educate them how this affects the body on all levels, not just physical, right? Yeah. Um, there's a spiritual component, there's a mental, and we can get more into that. Oh, definitely, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so that was, that was um, kind of the second phase of my career before I started my own business. Okay, yeah, definitely. The spiritual connection, I think, with food is, is, is really something that's that's lost. I think I think people understand um, food is love, food is connection, food is you know between people sharing food is really important. Yet the internal connection of food as love for your body and that spiritual um, way of thinking about how food and mindfulness and and allowing yourself to just be calm while you're eating and be focused on the food and understanding how it allows your body to digest and absorb a lot better um, if you're if you're really spiritually connected to it um, is just mm -hmm. a message that that people when I talk to people about it I think they kind of go oh okay well you know that that sounds good I should chew my food more and maybe turn the TV off but <laughs> there's so much more to it let's dive into that you know let's dive into that so you know, I think part of it goes back. I think it's very ancient and it's 
cultural too. I mean, one of the first places I think of that kind of just has this down is, is Europe. You know, you go there and what do they do? They break, they have a two hour break in the middle of the day to eat together with their family and then rest afterward and take a nap. There is such a reverence for eating. Yeah, oh, <laughs> right? yeah, absolutely. That, that we just don't have here. You know, our mentality is work, 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 then eat. And so there's this deprioritization deep here of it versus other um, cultures. And it's not just in Europe. Um, but, and I think that's, that's part of our work that we do, you know, as coaches and nutritionists is, is to help people get back to that sense of what is your relationship to food? Mm-hmm. Right. And I think as, as you and I have talked, the relationship to food is really very complex. It, it's, um, it's based in the people that you grew up with, your family, it's based on friends, it's based on um, what you've internalized from other people. Um, it's also ancestral, right? I think there's some deeply held beliefs that we don't even know we have about food. Um, but it's, yes, it's epigenetic, it's, it's, right? Totally it, sits on the, it sits on the end of our genes. It does. Exactly. And, you know, you look at something like Ayurvedic medicine, mm. Right, which is one of the things that we studied at, at the Natural Gourmet. Okay. Um, but people go on. I, I have a colleague and friend who's getting his master's in it. So, you know, you can get your PhD in this. What is Ayur- Ayurvedic? Is the science of life? It translates into. It is. It isn't just food. It is everything. It is everything in their life and the way they live it. So it's it's the combination of flavors and food. It's even how their house is positioned. There is a mindfulness about everything in life. Um, And what would it be like if you could just imagine if our medicine, if our medical system was about this, which is partly what functional medicine, you know, tries to really foster is this lifestyle is how you set up your environment is how you nourish yourself. Oh, absolutely. And I, you know, we, it's become utilitarian for us. Some people, there's a question on one of our intake forms for most of the docs that I work with. It says, you know, what's your relationship with food and do you eat to live or do you live to eat? Or right. I eat just because I have to, or, you know, several questions about relationship with food. And, and so often people are, first of all, confused. Number one, they're confused about what I should or shouldn't be doing. And they've lost that connection of being intuitive around the food that they eat. And I think intuitive eating has also been um, usurped in a lot of ways and not necessarily um, taken for the thing that it should be. It's, it's like you're talking about it's that connection. It's, it's listening. It's going back mm-hmm. to your body, right? So, so the Ayurveda, it's listening. That's right. And it's listening and- to the environment too, because Ayurveda is about the seasons, right? The season yes. and warm foods when you feel like you need warm foods, colder foods when it's hotter outside. Um, so much of that. So you, but you're the, you're the one that knows more than I do. So go ahead. Well, no, you know, I'm just, I'm thinking like what I, what I've even just tried to do with my daughter, who's she's three and a half now, but from an early age, you know, I've asked her, is it sweet? Is it sour? And so she, and she will tell me now, well, now she tells me if it's not sweet enough or salty enough. And, you know, she's my biggest (laughs) critic, but, but that's kind of where I started was not even so much like you must eat this or you can't have, was it the exploration of food down to the senses of it? Oh, wow. And she's so in touch with that. And, and what you just said about like warm foods are, you know, we sometimes we'll have hot tea, sometimes we'll have iced tea and she knows when she wants it because we talk about the weather. So, you know, you can, you can make these changes. You can tune in at any age, age. right? At, At any age. But this was really important to me as a mom was to start this early. Well, I, I 
had not really thought about that connection of really talking to your kids about that stuff, but that's so beautiful because we do talk about, you know, most of the time I'm working with adults and people who have a long history of that relationship with food and kind of trying to shift that relationship. Um, but thinking about kids, like how can you cultivate that relationship from the beginning is what you're saying is, you know, what, yeah. what does my body need? What is my body telling me? How do I feel with this food? And connected back to the body image thing that we talked about earlier, I often feel like we're so, so hyper vigilant about our bodies, you know, me included, everybody, right? Everybody. But we're so completely disconnected about how our bodies actually feel. Like the way they look is our, our major concern versus how am I actually feeling? And if I don't feel That's good, right. Right. And then maybe I need to start from there. But if I, it's just that we just kind of bury that, like, like most important. Yes. Yes. Karen, I think this is really one of the most important things. And this is where she, my daughter has been my greatest teacher because, you know, every parent wants their kid to just be healthy. Right. And, and they want to try and they want to feed them the best way they know how. And so I sometimes too get really heady and I go back to my like kind of craziness and analness with food, but she, she, she checks me. And what I mean by that is like, I wanted her to drink smoothies every morning, right? To like pack in the nutrients, but she's never, she never wanted it. She's, and when she did have it, she would oftentimes throw up when she was little. Oh my gosh. And the funny thing is, I had to talk to myself and say, you know what? And what she wants is so good. She wants eggs and greens. The kid wants eggs and greens every morning. Oh my gosh, that's fantastic. And, and I can't drink smoothies really either. They don't sit well with me. And so this is the thing. Is it is listening. It's listening to ourselves. It's listening to our children and what they're hungry for. Because we know our bodies will tell us. And how important, the, I think one of the greatest gifts we can give our children is to show them that they're being heard, that they can trust, they can trust their intuition. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that comes from you knowing and, and having that journey with yourself around, like, how That's right. I learn to trust myself again. And, and I do have, I have people, um, in fact, and I think I shared with you somebody that I'm working with right now who's in functional medicine for a long time and now he doesn't trust himself at all. He put himself in the hands of, of other people who were um, really looking into the nutrition piece and, but nothing ever shifted for him. That's the interesting thing. Like he, he, you know, he pulled a lot of things out of his diet, never really felt any different. Um, but now there's become this like distrust of what he thinks he knows and what other people have told him and what he's read and, there's this convergence of all of these opinions and this like, you know, dismissal of my own intuitive nature because I don't trust myself around what, what I think might be right for me and right. building that trust up. That's the other thing that I think um, you mentioned earlier was, was, you know, and I think this is important to talk about because when people get into functional medicine or any kind of um, food as medicine and, and using those tools, you can start to feel like, um, you know, okay, I, I got to follow these specific rules and I got to do this and I got to do that. And, and oh, this is not okay for me. And this is a bad food and this is a good food. And there's all these rules and then the rules start to change. And I think functional medicine, we have to be very careful because it can bring people into a place of, um, you know, food disorder right there absolutely a whole different food yeah a whole different yeah sort of because you're overly concerned about the healthiness of your food but then super restrictive and so share a little bit about what your experience um with either clients or your own personal experience with any of that and kind of helping people to rediscover their intuitive nature that's such a great question and so important because no matter what medicine, allopathic or functional, integrative, mm -hmm. <clears throat> there's something missing. I mean, there's a huge thing missing in allopathic, which is <laughs> nutrition education. But, yes. 
But in functional, and, and this is not a critic, I, I completely honor um, and respect functional medicine and integrative medicine. Right, right. But there's a gap in this translation to the kitchen and to the plate that we're talking about. There's a gap in um, helping people understand what they need. There is value in placing a prescriptive diet when somebody is undergoing an acute or chronic condition. Absolutely. Right, right. But the real art, and this is where culinary nutrition comes in, mm. okay? And this is why I so love this bridging of the fields is because the chef, okay? The person with the advanced cooking degree or, you know, the, the chef, helps to round out that conversation, to take the science and to bring beauty and pleasure into it. What is a diet to a, it, it, it is just, it's just a diet, it's diet. But what is cooking? Cooking is nourishment. Yeah. So, you know, and most of us, look, most of us know that eating dark leafy greens and blueberries and a little bit of dark chocolate and <laughs> yep. and what, we know what we should be eating, but we've we've lost that connection. So what the health coaching and the culinary nutrition worlds what we're what we're trying to do is get pleasure back into the program. Oh, beautiful! If you if you're not eating with pleasure, then that's where you need to start. Okay, I've had people with serious conditions come to me and they've been given a very, very clean diet, but it's still not working. They're still, they're still having gas and bloating. They're still not sleeping well. Their mood is dysregulated. Why? Because their nervous system is dysregulated. Mm -hmm. Right. Oh. If you're stressed out about eating, which is what happens when you're, you're thinking about it too much, right. Okay. Then what do you, well, a lot of, a lot of things are going on physiologically, but one of the major things is you're cutting off the flow of the vagus nerve, otherwise known as this wandering nerve, which you can picture going from the back of the brain, the back of the occiput to the abdomen. The vagus nerve connects the gut to the brain. So if, if you are on high stress, if you're on high alert, Okay, you're in the supermarket, you're like, I don't know, I don't know about chickpeas, they're going to give me gas, they have, fight, you know, they have these phytic gas, you're thinking about all these okay. things, yeah. are you been told, right? All right, so then you bring this good food home, do you think you're going to digest it well? No, no, there are, there are hormones, there are neurotransmitters going from and two, back and forth from the brain to the abdomen. And so if the body is, is stressed, um, too much cortisol is pumping out, which doesn't allow you to digest well, right. then you're not going to be able to digest and absorb the food well. Right, right, right. Yeah. Oh, I mean, this is, you're speaking my language here. <laughs> and this is, this is definitely a big part of, of, you know, as you said, as you started out saying, there is a time and place for prescriptive diets. That is absolutely true. And it's used as a tool, right? It's a tool to just kind of tool. get a little more attention towards, you know, what I'm feeling and what my body's telling me, but it's not forever. It's not something to be, um, to be used forever. And that joy and that nourishment, the nourishment of the soul, the nourishment of the body, but also relaxing into the beauty of cooking, the energy that you bring to cooking a meal when you're, you know, just in love with all the ingredients that you're putting in there and you know that it's going to be something healthy for your body versus the fear that can be created when you're looking at something and wondering, is this going to give me, you know, X, Y, or Z symptom. And, you know, the one example that I have in this, it's, he's such a beautiful person and he's, a great dad he's worried about like his his kids and 
you know, he worries about coming home and having an after-school snack. And he's like, I look at my kids and they're so excited to have their after-school snack. And he said, we're not eating bad food. We're eating, you know, ants on a log, right? Like, <laughs> like celery and almond butter and some dried fruit, raisins, whatever. That's a great snack. That's not a bag of Doritos, right? Yeah. And he sees his kids being so excited about that and he worries about everything he puts in his mouth and we're slowly moving away from that. But, but I really feel like that, that's such an important piece to what you do and what you help people understand in talking about the vagus nerve and how that even innervates and wraps through your esophagus. It can cause swallowing issues as well, where people feel like food's not going down their esophagus even. And that, so it, it really, it's a major, major player in everything that we do, particularly from a stress point. But I think what I like you're talking about is that connection, that constant communication between the gut and the brain. And that's going on all the time. And, and how do you, so how do you work with people to shift the way they're thinking about food and move away from that fear? What, what are some of the tools that you use to help people do that? Well, Number one is, is relaxing. It has, it has to start with the body um, because we, we think that, we think our beliefs are true, right? Yeah. And, and these can run so, so deep. So one is just first starting to tune into the breath. So I do give breathing and relaxation exercises. And when, what I find is for myself, for my clients, when people do this, you can actually hear yourself better and what you need, what you can believe in, what you can truly believe in, like what's really true, not what, not all the stories that have been developed over time. So, and, and again, just kind of harking back to functional medicine, I really have to take people out of certain belief systems that have been given to them because of what sometimes those doctors have told them. Because there's a real there's a real nutrition prescription going on in functional medicine that I don't think is talked about. And there's this ideal of and perfectionism that if you eat this way, your symptoms will go away. And as a chef, I have a really hard time with that, that we can't just always look at research and say, this is always true for everybody. And what I mean is, for example, I'll give you a great example. There's so much out now about brain and mental health and you never see really grains in there, like whole grains in that discussion. Mm-hmm. And they're actually kind of vilified. Right, right, yeah. And that's because flour has been, you know, refined flour and refined flour products have really caused a problem with inflammation um, and leading to some of these mental health diseases. But I have a lot of clients that say, well, but what about whole grains? Can I still have whole grains in my diet? Of course you can. That's not what's going to set the brain on fire when we're talking about inflammation of the brain. So my point is, is I feel like part of my service is to help people calm down about food. Calm down. Calm down. (laughs) Calm down right now. Calm down about food. (laughs) Bring in some more moderate, like think more in moderation, that there is a middle path. It doesn't have to be this paleo, vegan, pagan, these terms that, that we're that we're being, we've been given, there can be a middle path that helps you prevent and, and treat disease. It doesn't have to be so extreme. Sure. And what I think what you're saying too is, is when you talk about like grains being vilified and, and whole grains being okay, it's about quality of food, right? It's, it's looking at the true quality of the food versus um, any necessarily one food because something can be um, maybe created with pesticides or highly processed or stripped down of the the nutrients that we we want in them and that isn't necessarily the best thing for our bodies and if you look at it from an ayurvedic perspective it certainly isn't right that's that's not a whole 
natural, real food. So the whole grain piece of it is more about, would you say it's more about quality versus the, um, the food itself? Yes, it's about quality. It's about variety. So, you know, you and I, I'm sure we both talk a lot about eating from the rainbow yeah. and diversifying your colors in your diet. And grains are a great way. People just think white or brown, but my gosh, there's purple rice, right? From the, the black forbidden rice that turns purple, there's red, there's green. And all of these have different antioxidants in it. So again, I think my role is to really appreciate all kinds of whole real foods and be a curious eater. Be curious, not not to shoo something away because you know it wasn't in a book or it's been told that it's like a demon food yeah it's not mine it's not for me but in terms but i think i think the quality piece is really important and this also goes if this also plays into what we were talking about with with connecting to the spiritual side of eating you know and and maybe this is maybe too woo woo for for people but there is something in the energetics of food, right? How fresh, um, how fresh a strawberry is, um, how an animal has been raised and slaughtered. You can look at any type of food, vegetable, flesh, seafood, and, and get curious about where it came from. And it'll resonate it'll resonate with you. You know, you'll start to become a more refined shopper and enjoy the food in a different way. Oh, absolutely. That's, that's definitely another level of spirituality. And I don't think that's so woo woo. I think it's, you know, everybody's probably experienced where they had an idea of cooking something. I know this has happened to me before and I'm rushing through it because I haven't given the time that I need to for it. And the meal doesn't turn out as well. Right. Because you're just not putting you're not putting your time and your, your, your heart into it. It's just, bam, I got to get this meal out. And, and here we go. Um, and, and I, I love to cook. So I, you know, years ago before, um, I, I was, um, with my partner, I would spend Saturday nights like cooking these elaborate meals. And then it was just me. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'll freeze this. But for me, it was like an exciting experience. And, Taking the time to put your your love and your interest and curiosity about a new recipe, a new type of food, or or something um, different into the creation of food. I know that we don't always have that time, but we could create that time, and it does bring a different level of nourishment to that food. Yeah, and and we can create that time, and I don't think you know if we have time to get an oil change, to get our nails done, to do all these other things that we make priority, we have time to spend 10 minutes meal planning, doing a little bit of meal planning. Right. And then an hour of shopping. It, it doesn't take long. It doesn't. It's just making the time for it. And, and making the time for it um, because you think it's a priority and you value it. Um, and then you understand, this is always going back to like, your why? Why are you doing it in the first place? Well, because I, I know that this nourishes my body, it nourishes my family, it nourishes everything that I want to be able to do in my life. If you're not fueled the right way, and if you're not feeling good and not having energy, you're not able to do the things that you want to do. So it's such a core piece of, I mean, we do, we eat all day long, most of us, right? I mean, at least three meals a day, if not um, more than that. Um, so making time for it and prioritizing and meal prepping and planning is, is a big key. Is that part of, that's part of what you, you work on with some of your, um, your clients, right? Oh, I always work on meal planning because even though I talk intuition in the kitchen so much, um, you still need, you still need a plan or you're kind of like, flying out there during the week because we all have so much to do right and like you you want to kind of know what's going on for dinner <laughs> otherwise right. you're taking out you're taking out um or ordering in or really really stressed when you're cooking so yeah. 
not not a hundred percent, but pretty much we my husband and I always meal plan very quickly before we go to the market on the weekend. And um, we kind of know like what are our three dinners gonna be during the week with leftovers. Mm -hmm. We know what breakfast and lunch usually is. It's just dinner for most people. That's the hang up. Yeah, yeah. Breakfast is eggs and greens, right? Breakfast is eggs and greens, that's right. <laughs> um, and and everyone for themselves <laughs> for lunch. Um, but but you know when because we have that down, it's just a stress we don't like. We hardly ever have. Where I know because I have clients that are almost always stressed out about what's for dinner. Mm -hmm. And so that's sometimes a game changer. Right. And, and doing it on the weekend can be like a super helpful thing because that's usually when you have a little more time and, and then you get to your busy week and, and it's 5.30 or 6 o'clock and you don't have to worry about what's for dinner because you've already planned and prepped it. So. Yeah. And like when you get into this groove of doing it, your usually your refrigerator just has what you're going to eat. And so I'm pretty much emptied out by the end of the week or, you know, I'm taking different odds and ends and I'm making a stock or a broth with leftovers or I'm doing like a kitchen sink frittata, <laughs> which is really fun. You know, I like that at the end of the week is like, okay, what can I make out of these little <laughs> bits of nothing? Oh, that's fun. That's the creativity yeah, part of yeah. it, right? So I want to, I want to step back a little bit to that spirituality and food. And we talked a little bit earlier about, um, Deanna Minnick and her, um, the, the rainbow, um, but also just foods for, um, chakras which that may be a little bit woo woo but i'm all into that so let's talk about it right so the different colors of food and the different chakras that it could connect to um and so yeah this is this is also like well her work is just so integrative in how color shows up in our life and so the colors of the chakra the chakra system she takes that and she kind of um expands that out into, well, how do the colors relate to nutrients? Um, and there's so much research on this, actually, it isn't woo-woo, um, that blue, that blues and purples are for brain health. And so every, every color can line up with uh, organ and a function of the body. And then it can also connect into mood and attitude, um, you can kind of go through physical, mental, spiritual, and how it aligns with the colors. And so this is what I mean about the limitations, even in functional medicine. So where they're not talking about, let's say grains, okay, with mental health, let's just go back to that. If you look at it from this color perspective, well, we know that blues, the pigments and the phytochemicals of blues and purples are extremely important for mental health, that they help protect against oxidative stress, um, that they help reduce inflammation, that they've been shown to help reduce depression and anxiety, that they've improved cognitive function. But function, this, so this is a whole way of looking at it by, by just looking at color. And so this is why I don't discount grain because I when I make that forbidden rice, I think of it as blueberries and blackberries being brain protective. Oh, nice. Yeah. Right? So we bring in a different layer. Well, I think too, what you're saying, like even visualizing that, the way that we think about our food as we are preparing it or bringing it into our, our bodies, like if you were to think, wow, as I eat this, this forbidden rice, my brain is actually loving this, right? I mean, it sounds a little silly, but I think sometimes you know, our minds are thinking all these other negative things about food. Right. Why don't we just populate our brain with this positive thinking about the food that we're bringing into our bodies and saying the forbidden rice is a really good thing, even though it's called forbidden. <laughs> right. Funny, that's an oxymoron, right? Um, but it's not a forbidden food. It's something that's actually nourishing our brains and our, our mental health and our attitude and our mood. And, and maybe even thinking, you know, if I'm feeling a little crabby lately or for some reason I haven't slept well what foods do I really want to bring in that might nourish me in those moments where 
I know that there's a little more stress or there's a little more um, unsettled whatever going on in my days. You know, thinking about it in that way, how can I use that as more um, therapeutic in my day versus utilitarian? That's right. That's right. And I, I haven't meant to like harp on, on grains, but all of these different foods um, and food groups have different energies. So um, I know I need some grain, like I've got my period and I need it to actually ground me a little bit um, during this time. I need something a little bit heavier, right? It, and so this is what I just kind of open up the conversations with students and clients is, okay, maybe grain, this is what, for some women, grain doesn't work for them. It, it, puts, it puts on weight. That's good. You discovered that. Yeah. For others, it's actually really grounding. It's nourishing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And so um, go, just going back to the color, sometimes that's where, that is where I start with people because color, color kind of brings us back to our childhood, right? Most of us have either painted or done drawings. And so sometimes my first question is, what's your favorite color? And we go from there and we see what color do they have a lot of in their diet or what are they lacking? And this becomes a curiosity and an exploration in their diet. So it, it could be a great, if you've got health coaches listening, it can be a great starting point. I like that. I, you know, I often talk about diversity on the plate and rainbow and, but I've never really thought <clears throat> of asking anybody what their particular colors are and what they tend to gravitate toward um and and linking it to that and joyous like color is joy right it can be excitement and joy and 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 um something that connects you to what your childhood was which for most people there's there's something that's happy in their childhood that they can connect yes and speaking of joy and happy orange foods which (laughs) right which is this the second chakra around the the reproductive organs, there's been wonderful research showing that people that eat orange foods are happier, less depressed. It's a joyous color. And actually, if you paint, like there's been different studies about those that like paint their eating area, orange tones, enjoy their food. It's a very cool link to to look into well you know i'm going to ask you to maybe send me a couple of those so i can put those links in the show notes for people who are listening because that's really really cool information and i'm I'm also going to link some of deanna minnick stuff because she's got a lot that um she offers on her website too yeah she's got a ton yeah so if you can send me some of those studies that would be really great to to be able to link that and share that with people um so you know, before we end, because um, I know we're, we're kind of going into almost, um, you know, an hour and 15 minutes, which is great, but um, is there anything that you feel like um, in terms of, of that you want to just share? What's some sort of like encapsulating everything that we talked about and, and really a message that you want to bring to people that you think is so important that, um, that we've probably talked about, but maybe in just kind of a, a, a brief ending statement? I think it's really just to remind people that they are their own expert. They are their own healer. And no matter what doctor you're working with or you know, medical expert or book that you're reading, first tune into yourself and ask, you, ask yourself if it feels right. Mm. It's, it's it's a great place to just kind of keep coming back to, does this feel right? And then, um, you know, if it, if it doesn't, then kind of get curious about it and say, what do I, what do I need? And it's okay, you know, with food. And this has happened to me for so long over the years, I've tried something, it didn't work. Um, and then I had to kind of go back to the kitchen and, I just encourage you keep exploring, keep finding what, if you love recipes, find the blogs and the websites and that you love. Um, and if you love just playing and creating, then 
then just go with that. Go with that. And also know, also keep in the back of your mind, our eating changes over time because our bodies are always evolving. They always need something different. Absolutely. I'm experiencing that now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if you had a, like a book or um, maybe a couple books or websites or blog posts or blogs that you liked, um, what are your recommendations? What would you say people could look for? Oh my gosh, um, so many. Well, one of my favorites as far as shopping, I think this, this really changed the way I, I looked at produce is Eating on the Wild Side by Joe Robinson, okay. who talks about how our food has been made sweeter, that it's once bitterness has really been taken out and has been, it, it has been grown to be sweeter to meet our palates. Mm. And she goes into like almost every common fruit and vegetable that you would consume and showing you like its origin, what to look for, like how scallions have more, so many more antioxidants than just the regular onion. So it just changed the way I cooked because I just started using more scallions. Oh, okay. um, there's so much good, really fun information in there. Okay. And um, then just share with me how people can find you, how they can follow you, how they might be able to work with you if they wanted to. Yeah, it's Marty, M-A-R-T-I, Wolfson, W-O-L-F-S-O-N.com. And you can find my classes. I've got a cooking companions program now since the pandemic started where uh, two Zoom classes, um, you cook along with us every month with the season. Um, and I have different like 10 week programs going on. So it's all on there, recipes, and you can reach me by email if um, if you need to reach me personally. Great. And you have a great Instagram feed too. I saw your Oh, thanks, Karen. Day. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. This has been a really just eye-opening conversation and so different than I think most um, people think about nutrition. And and I really hope that um, you know people get something from this. I'm I'm quite sure they have because it's just been a, a really um, great conversation. I really thank you for being here and. Um, you know, I'm going to be sending a lot of people your way because I think it's really important, the work that you're doing that con combines just nutrition and culinary creative arts. Thank you so much, Karen, and for the work that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you, Marty Wolfson. I'm so very lucky to host this podcast and connect with people like Marty doing such important work in the world of health and wellness. I just love the way she opens up about the deeper side of food and cooking that so many have lost their way around. My mission for this podcast is really to spread this information and wisdom from my guests to all of you out there. So if you would be so kind as to share this on your social media and with friends and family if something about our conversation spoke to you, and let's make this world a healthier, happier place. Please see the show notes for anything that was mentioned in the podcast links, uh, a way to connect with Marty, and maybe even sign up for her monthly cooking companions class online. Thanks for listening. Catch you in a few weeks.